Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Covenant Church. Faith Covenant is a non-denominational Bible church based in Borger, Texas. We exist to take in all people, teach the truth, train followers, and transform lives. We hope that this sermon encourages you and brings you closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ. For more information about Faith Covenant Church, visit our website at www.faithborger.com. Hey, we're going to uh, open our Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And if you've been around here for a while, you know, we've been in the book of 1 Samuel for some time. We're going through, you know, here at FCC, we go through books, you know, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so we've been in 1 Samuel for quite a while. But this is where it starts to get really fun because we're at that epic tale of David and Goliath. All right. You know, it's the football season. Today's day one of the NFL and college football yesterday, uh, you're always going to hear this analogy used in football. It's David versus Goliath, you know, some small school against some big school, you know, or something like that. And it's so much fun. And it's in our lifetimes, you know, we all have to go toe to toe with giants. We all have to go and battle something that is too big for us to conquer on our own. The odds are impossible of us having a chance to gain victory against this foe. And so our message for the next few weeks in this series is called Goliath Must Fall. And uh, really excited about this. Very excited. We're also in our home groups, we're diving into a curriculum or a, a study by a guy named Lou Giglio that I admire so much. And it's called Goliath Must Fall. So we're taking his title and our home groups and our Sunday mornings going to be doing about the same thing for a while. And by the way, all of our home group leaders are across the street also. Uh, they're all over there uh, doing some training this morning, trying to get ready for you. And if you're not a part of a home group here at FCC, come back tonight, find out more about that. Visit the welcome wall in the back. Uh, there's a section there about home group ministry. Get some information. We would love for you to get involved in one of our small groups that meet in homes. But today we're going to talk to you specifically about something really important to me. And if you're here today and uh, if you're a parent, I uh, really want you to tune in. Uh, this, what we're going to talk about today is so, so key as a mom or a dad. Uh, if you're here today and you're married, please think about what we're going to talk about today. You know, by, by its very nature, being married means that someone has opened up the sacred chamber of their heart and let you in. And, and that's, a, that's a, a noble and an incredible responsibility when someone opens up that chamber of their heart and lets you in. As a parent, your children, they open up that sacred chamber of their heart and they let you in. And there are also some of you here today uh, who are in education. You might be a teacher, an administrator. You work with kids in some capacity. There again, what do the children do? They open up the sacred chamber of their heart. They let you in. And this is so, so key what we're talking about today. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you don't have children. But this is just something when you're interacting with people just on an everyday basis uh, can be so, so key. But also I want us to really think about this too is also how people interact with us and how we should respond and how we should uh, react to the things that people say and do with us and for us. Okay? So the title today is The Battle for the Heart. The Battle for the Heart. You know, this past Wednesday night, we have a bunch of kids up here on Wednesday nights, and it is a lot of fun. And last Monday, Labor Day, uh, I had to meet one of my sons uh, in Dallas. And so Melly and I, we drove back, we drove, drove to Dallas and back, and then came, and then 
my, my oldest son, uh, he's an intern in Washington, D.C., and he got, you know, he, he got to be in uh, the, uh, this, the, the confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court justice. So he's a part of that. And I'm not just putting that out there. This is important to the story, okay? And so I stayed up till like 2.30 in the morning watching these hearings, you know, wanting to see if I could see him in the room, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, he's going to be a part of all that, and it's pretty fun. And uh, then Wednesday, so I stayed up till like 2.30 in the morning, then 1.30 in the morning. So, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just tired. And then Hannah, our children's minister, she asked me Wednesday, she said, hey, my husband has to be out of town. Would you mind being in charge of games tonight for FCC kids? I, I love that. You know, and they're kicking off. You know, I love that, doing that. I really do. And I'm always happy to do it. I've been doing that kind of thing for years. You know, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I enjoy it. But for some reason, that particular day, this past Wednesday, it, I just got rocked. You know, I'm just being honest with you all today. I was walking home, and, uh, you know, we got two cars in the garage, so I'm walking home, <laughs> okay? And I had a conversation with someone, and I don't know if you ever do this to yourself, but, you know, so I had a conversation with someone, and that made me think about one thing, and that made me think about something else, and that made me think about something else, and I went from having a very innocent conversation with somebody to just being really, really down, all right? I have a struggle, and I'm not going to tell you what it is today, but I, I have a wound in my heart. And I opened that wound this past Wednesday, and I just started bleeding out everywhere. I mean, it was bad. You know? So I'm walking home, my knuckles are dragging the ground, going home for dinner. And uh, I get home, and I just, my, my sweet wife is there, and I just kind of threw up on the table. You know, I was like, I said, honey, I need you to pray for me. I said, I'm really, really struggling today. I'm really struggling tonight. I said, you know, my son is in Washington, D.C., and he's getting to do these great things, you know, he's doing, and, and uh, you know, it's a pivotal moment in our country's history, you know, and, my, you know, other son, he's at this really big church doing these great things, you know, leading college Bible study and things like that, and here I am, I'm 53 years old, and I'm playing games with third graders, you know? <laughs> I know, you know, he's like, gosh, Les, how narcissistic are you, really? But, I mean, that's just how I felt that day, you know? I'm, I'm not lying to you. I really did. And so I started trudging back to the church. I was right over here by the uh, pear trees, you know? And I just, man, I'll say, my knuckles are dragging the ground. My heart just feels like it's just melted out of my body. You know, I just, I have no heart at all. And I just said, Lord, I said, Hannah has worked hard to prepare this for tonight. And the kids are excited. And I just said, Lord, please, as, as, as weak as my heart is right now, I said, Lord, please, don't let my heart get in the way of what you're doing. I said, Lord, please do a work in my heart. Well, you know, I get out there with the kids are out there. And I had this is our first time out. So the, this first group comes up and it's 80 percent boys. And man, they are fired up, man. They are excited, right? And uh, I said, I said, I said, huddle up. I said, we got I got. I made up a game for you guys tonight. I hadn't come up with a name yet, but I said, hey, we're gonna call this bullet ball. You know, it's never too early to teach kids their Second Amendment rights. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so <laughs> I said, we're gonna play bullet ball, all right? And I told them how we're gonna play. And man, they were so excited. And then the game starts. We're just having a ton of fun. And I get to encourage all these kids. It was like, hey, watch out. This kid's got skills. You can tell when he gets up to bat, you know, that kind of thing. And I, and I got the chance to teach a couple of kids how to hold a bat. You know, I haven't done that since, I was, since my boys were little. And uh, they were just having a ball. And I was having fun. I was running around and everything. And uh, it just kind of occurred to me as they were walking off, you know, our 30 minutes was up. 
And, uh, you know, it just really occurred to me, I said, you know, shaping the lives of these young men is so much more important than confirming a Supreme Court justice. You know, truly, truly is. All right. Especially this one. Man, what a zoo. That's been awful. What's been going on up there? Okay. But here's what I want you to see today. In our lifetimes, we are going to be engaged in a battle. And the war is going to rage until we leave this world, until we breathe our last. We are going to be engaged in a battle for our heart, for our heart, and for the hearts of the people that we love around us. And, you know, the book of 1 Samuel, you know, when, you, when you're looking at a book, you have to look at the themes. And there's one theme that just resonates throughout the book of 1 Samuel, and that is the heart, the heart. You see this over and over again, and probably the pinnacle of that is when Samuel says, you know, God says to Samuel, I'm going to seek out a man after my own heart. And so at its core, this book is a story about life's greatest battle, the battle that all of us are in. It's the battle for the heart. And so 1 Samuel chapter 16, the story of David and Goliath. All right. Now the Lord has told the prophet Samuel, King Saul has failed, and I'm going to send you to anoint someone else as king, and someone else is a man after my own heart. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. And you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. That is so important to this story. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. And they asked, do you come in peace? Because Samuel, he's the maker of kings. And Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, it's a famous verse, isn't it? Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see there, verse 5. Samuel comes to the house of Jesse and says, I want to have a worship service with you. We're going to have a sacrifice. I brought the heifer. You consecrate yourselves. What does that mean? That means you guys go in and you, uh, you, you wash ceremonially, get your body clean, uh, put on your very best clothes, get yourself prepared, put some oil on your hair, slick your hair back, put on your Sunday best because we are going to have we're going to have worship. You see there in verse 6, and the sons of Jesse begin arriving, and they're all gathered together as a group. And there are seven of them. Just imagine seeing these seven, probably most of them are in their 20s, maybe even early 30s, still living there on the farm there with their dad. And there again, they've taken a bath, they've combed their hair, they've trimmed their beard, they're wearing nice clothes, and Samuel sees all of them as a group. And they are an impressive group of young men. And he can't help but notice the firstborn, Eliab. 
Eliab was the first one to catch his eye. He must have had a very impressive outward appearance. He was probably tall, muscular, handsome, and self-assured. You know, he was like the E.F. Hutton in the room. When he spoke, people listened. You know what I'm saying? And Samuel observes his behavior, and he says, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. And he looked the part. And, you know, if you'd been alive at this time, Eliab would have been one of those people that you would have wanted to have as your friend. He would have, you know, he was handsome, successful, and popular. He made a great first impression. And if you were in Bethlehem Middle School, you would have wanted to eat at Eliab's table, all right? You know, he was that kind of a cool kid. And uh, God, who sees everything, refuses to endorse him. And in fact, God says, I have rejected him. And you see there that classic verse, verse 7. By the way, when he says, I have rejected him, look up at verse 1. God said the same thing about Saul. You might remember we talked about Saul. He was tall, muscular, handsome, and impressive. You know, Luke chapter 16, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he said, you make yourselves look good in front of people, but God knows what is really in your hearts and what is important to people is detestable in God's sight. Now, when you look at verses 8 through 11 there, what you see happening is that each of the sons has to come up and present themselves to Samuel. Basically, you know, come up and shake his hand, have a short conversation with him. And Samuel is waiting for the Lord to indicate which one of these is the one you want to anoint king over these people. And nothing. There's number one, number two, on through number seven, Nothing. And, and then Samuel has to say, I know I'm supposed to be here. He's like, Jesse, do you have any other sons? And do you see what's happened here? No one, not even his own father, sees that potential in David. Samuel, the most powerful man in Israel, comes to the house and says, I want to choose one of your sons for something special. And so Jesse tells all the boys, Look your best, act your best, be on your base behavior. I want to make a good impression on Samuel. But there's one son who doesn't get invited to the party, so to speak, David. David is the one who's despised and rejected of men. And when it's time for the family to put their best foot forward, David is the one who gets overlooked. David is the one who's uninvited. And chances are very good that we have some men and some women here today who can really relate to what happened to David. You know, your father, your mother had a favorite son or a favorite child, and it wasn't you. And you felt the sting of rejection from your own father and your own mother. And so many times in life, you've been the one who's been discounted, who's been overlooked, who's been uninvited. And here's what I want you to see today that we never, never want to allow any other human being to define our worth. Not even our parents. You know, I love my parents, but I cannot get my sense of worth from my parents. My mom is here today. I cannot gain my sense of worth from my parents because they're fallible people. Your coworkers, your classmates, your teachers, your coaches supervisors, family members, they can't see you. They can't see your heart. It's not always that they're bad people. They're just fallible. We're all, all of us have vision that is 
tainted by the world that we live in. Samuel, who's a more godly man than Samuel? Did you notice kind of the tenor of this? He's having a conversation with God, you know? And even Samuel couldn't get it right. We can't see all that God sees, obviously. But the Lord, he sees you in a way that no one else ever can or ever will. And I believe with all my heart that believing this is absolutely essential to life. Jeremiah 17. I, the Lord, look into a person's heart and test the mind so I can decide what to give each to according to his way. Wow. So here we go. Look at verse 10. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse had answered, but he is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. That's a little bit awkward. So he sent and had him brought in. And he was ruddy, which means he had auburn hair or chestnut, if you're into that kind of thing, hair color. I don't know what that is, chestnut, but... with a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Oh my goodness. Imagine David there among his brothers. Nice looking young man, but he doesn't make that great first impression like some of his other brothers did. And he's been outside tending the sheep. When he comes in, man, he said, remember they said, we're not going to sit down until he gets here. So David didn't have time to go do what his brothers did. He didn't have time to go, you know, shower and clean up and comb his hair and all that. When he comes in, man, he's sweaty, he's dirty, smells like sheep, whatever that smells like and things like that. And he probably ran to the house. And Jesse probably thought, well, Samuel's not going to see anything in David anyway, so why clean him up? And if you look at all eight boys in the room at one time, it would be obvious to anyone that David's not the exceptional one. If you were looking at just the outward, you would see that David's not the exceptional one. But Isaiah 55, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. When Samuel looked at David, he saw a rough, raw, young shepherd boy And by all outward appearances, David was absolutely average. Just like most of us. But on the inside, in his heart, he was exceptional. And then one of the most beautiful sentences anywhere in the Bible, look again at verse 12. The Lord says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. What a remarkable scene. That must have been. And I wonder today, do you see yourself in that sentence? Do you see yourself in that sentence? Anoint him, anoint her. From among all the others, I have chosen this one. That's what the cross says about you and me. If you've believed in Jesus and trusted Jesus to be your Savior, that it was God's work in your heart making it possible for you to have faith in him. And so that tells us that You have been chosen of the Lord. Look at verse 13. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The more literal translation of that would be, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David like rushing water. It's a great, great picture. And I can see 
David kneeling there before Samuel with tears streaming down his face because he could feel his insides churning as the Spirit of God was moving on his heart. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about because you've been there. You've been in worship services. You've been at camps. You've been in retreats, and you've had that happen. You know what that's like, and that's what happened to him. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it is God who makes us stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts. All this talk about the heart. What is the heart exactly? What does the Bible mean when it talks about the heart? I want you to see this diagram that Michael made for me. Your heart, in the biblical sense, is the synergy or the merger of three essential drivers in your life, three motivators in your life, your mind, your will, and your emotions, all right? And sometimes, by the way, we talk about heart and soul. They mean the same thing, all right? Your heart is your soul, all right? Basically is what that means. Your heart is the part of you that considers every life situation and then acts. It's the driver in your life. It's the center point of yourself, the focal point of your motivation and purpose, and it's also the source of your courage. You might say your inner strength, your will, And that's why it is so, so critical for you and I to know that we are in a battle for our heart, for our soul. You can see where those three things come together. You can kind of make out the diagram there. You can see the heart. Well, this brings us to the most epic battle in the Bible, David against Goliath. You know, at first glance, you might think this is a battle for territory or geopolitical supremacy. But in reality, it's a much more epic battle than that because this is a battle for the heart of man. Satan wants to snuff out this tiny little kingdom that has sprung up that is a threat to his rule and his reign. These are the rebels in the world, all right? And 1 John 5, John says, the whole world is under the rule of of the evil one. And what is, what is Satan going to use in this battle for the heart? It's Goliath. He is an unholy hybrid of man and angel. And we're going to talk about him more specifically next week. And so if you like kind of get geeked up a little bit on some of that stuff, you know, about, you know, giants and things like that, come back next week and we're going to talk about that. It's going to be pretty fun. But the devil's strategy is to use this superhuman, supernatural giant to destroy the heart of his enemy. Let's go to chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 1. All right. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled. And look at verse 2. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. And a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. And on his legs, he wore bronze greaves and had a bronze javelin slung on his back. And his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which is about three or four pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. There are two of them. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. 
And if he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects or your slaves. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, the king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Look at verse 11 there real quick. In the message it says, they were terrified and they lost all hope. You know, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book about uh, David and Goliath a couple years ago. He talks about the fact that Goliath was a man who had a hormone imbalance. Well, I just want to tell you today that men with a hormone imbalance uh, don't scare entire armies, all right, and cause them to lose hope, all right? There's a lot more going on here than that. And he was so massive and so strong, uh, they knew they were going up against something that was otherworldly. And it frightened them to the core, and they lost heart. And he's an image, and he's a symbol of all the power of this dark world. The God of this age, the prince of this world, has one dark objective, and that is to wound your heart. That's what Goliath was there to do. And if he can wound your heart, he can weaken you, take you captive, and enslave you. Notice the challenge that the giant gave to the army. Send someone out to face me. If he can beat me, we'll be your slaves. But if I can beat him, you will be our slaves. Second Timothy chapter two, Paul wrote this. He said, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth and escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. That's the, those are the stakes, ladies and gentlemen. When we see people who are in slavery, slavery to things like addictions, anger, fear, worry and anxiety, money, pleasure, power, whatever, whatever enslaves people, alcohol, what happened? They lost a battle for their heart. And that's why moms and dads, so important that we understand what's going on with our children. They're in a battle for their heart. Husbands, it's so important we understand what's going on with our wives. They're in a battle. We are in a battle for their heart. We're one flesh, all right? If it's going after her heart, it's going after mine, okay? This is so, so important. Teachers, coaches, our students, athletes, in a battle for the heart. Engaged in that all the time. And David arrived, and David knew that Goliath's purpose was not to kill people. Goliath's purpose was to crush the hearts of God's people. Look down at verse 32. I know it's kind of far down, but look at verse 32. When David had a chance to talk to Saul, he said, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I'll go fight him. All right? He knows what's happening. Everybody's losing heart. All right? There again, one of the major themes of 1 Samuel. You know, earlier this week, thinking about losing heart, I was watching Nature on PBS. It was like the real late night episode, you know. So uh, Melanie and, and Hope were in bed. So it was just me. And I just picked, I just picked it up, and there was a, uh, a seal 
that was up on an ice floe, and they were showing these four killer whales working in unison trying to get this seal and break up this ice flow that he was on. And it was amazing how the seal, the, uh, these killer whales would, would work in unison, you know. And, and this seal, they broke the ice a couple of times, and the seal uh, made a mad dash. He dove in the water. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is it for the seal, you know. And then the seal, man, he made it through, and the whales were chasing him, and he jumps up on another ice flow. Well, then they go to work on that ice flow, and they break it up, and he jumps back in the water, and like, oh, this is it, this is it. And he goes, and he, and he jumps around, and he gets up on another ice flow. This happened two or three times. It's like David and Goliath, one seal versus uh, four killer whales, you know? And you're like going, go seal, go, <laughs> you know? And then all of a sudden, the seal gets up, and they said that what the killer whale wants to do is that they, uh, they want to grab the seal by the tail, pull him underwater, and hold him under long enough that he'll drown, and then they'll eat him. And the seal jumped up on an ice floe, and it was big enough for him to get his tail out of the water. But they had the camera on this seal's face, just like that. And he's sitting there with his flippers out, and then he leaves his tail in the water. And he's just given up. He's done. He's lost heart. I know he's a seal, but you know, get, you know. If this is a Disney movie, you know, it'd be, you know, lost heart. But man, I mean, I'm sitting there watching this. I can't get, keep my eyes off of it. And this killer whale comes up, just grabs his tail, and the seal just kind of like slides off the ice. And you see little marks left by his flippers. Boom, he goes under the water. I had a moment, man. I was like wiping my eyes. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. Oh my goodness. I was glad the girls were in bed. I would have been embarrassed, man. I was, I was crying so hard. <laughs> it's been an emotional week. You know what I'm saying? All right. But you know, Satan's strategy has never changed. He wants us to lose heart. And I have to say my years of life and life in the ministry, I've seen so many people, good and godly people, lose heart. People give up on themselves. People give up on their marriages. As a pastor, you see people give up on their ministries. Too many to count. Uh, Some people I'm very close to. I've watched people plunge into despair, hopelessness, lose faith, lose courage, lose their families, spiral into addictions. All because their heart was wounded. Their heart was wounded. Well, how do our hearts get wounded and what do we do about that? I'm going to go pretty fast here, all right? So I want you to stay with me. Look at what happens in verses 12 through 19. This is still chapter 17. David's three oldest brothers are in the army. And David's father says, I want you to take some, some food to these guys out in the army. Give me a report of what's going on. So here's a bunch of cheese and, and goats and things like that. And David gets there and he sees the troops facing one another on the valley floor. And Goliath comes out and David has to watch as these men turn and run from Goliath's presence. And so you see there in verse 25, David begins asking questions of the soldier. Like, who is this Philistine? Who does he think he is? Remember, David is the one here who has the Spirit of God just bursting in his cells and his body. And who's he to talk to the army of God like that? And he says, what is the king going to do for the man who kills this soldier, this giant? And the answer was, well, you get a bunch of cash, you get the king's daughter, a beautiful princess, so you're joining the royal family, and best of all, you don't have to pay taxes. You know, that's a pretty nice deal. Now, David's oldest brother, Eliab, he's there, and he hears him talking. 
And the Goliath strategy is working beautifully because the Israelites are turning on one another. See, David's out of line. He's out of step with everybody else. Everyone else is running in fear, but David is speaking with courage. And the world is always shaken by a godly man or a godly woman who won't stay in line, so to speak. And so Eliab speaks to David. And I want you to see this. His words are weaponized. The words that his older brother speaks to him are designed for one purpose, and that is to wound David's heart and get him back in line. Look at verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. And he said, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. And you came down here only to watch the battle. You know, encapsulated in those words to David, there are the three things that the world says to us, says to our children, says to our spouse, that try to wound their hearts. Number one, you're not wanted. All right, why have you come down here? Uh, your dad sent me. I brought cheese, you know, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But it all started in elementary school, didn't it? There were certain groups of kids that didn't want us to play with them. And for all of our lives, people send us the message, one group or another, one person or this or that, you're not wanted. And I got to tell you, as a parent, as a pastor, man, the whole smartphone, they should change the name to stupid phone because people do the dumbest things with those, all right? And I'm going to create a, a whole new social media platform like Instagram called Wound a Heart, all right? And every time your friends are getting together and you're not there, it's going to ping you and let you know, you know, something like that. I'm going to create some kind of platform like that. And we see these things on social media. Our kids see these things on social media. Why didn't they invite me? Why was I the one who was left out? Why was I uninvited? And the core of, mess, of the message that Eliab sends to David is, you don't belong with us. You don't belong here. No one wants you around. And in warfare, you have to be courageous and cunning. And this is not just a social interaction that David and Eliab, this is not just a family squabble that they're having. All right, This is something that is happening to wound the heart of the man of God, the man who has God's spirit. And you have an enemy and he wants to wound your heart. And he knows what works beautifully on some of us. When someone sends that message to you, you're not wanted. But look at the cross. What does the cross tell you and tell me? The cross tells you and me that you are a wanted man. You are a wanted woman. All right? Ephesians 2.19, you are no longer outsiders, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Let that sink in. That is so profound and so powerful. God has chosen you. Rise and anoint him. Anoint her. She is the one. He is the one. And I'm going to bring them into my family. And so don't let what anyone says or anyone posts or anyone puts out there wound your heart. Because like David and his family, they don't know you. Only God knows you. Only God knows your heart. And so, like David from his, among his brothers, always remember, if you know Jesus as your Savior, God has chosen you. And I just want to say again, that's why it's so important to get involved in a small group in the life of your church because you want to find that place where you're accepted, where, you're, where you belong. Find that in your church. Number two, the second thing that you see in what Eliab said is, you don't have what it takes. 
That's the message that is sent to our children, to ourselves, to our spouse. You don't have what it takes to wound the heart. With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Hey, we're at war. We're facing a giant. David, you're just a shepherd. You've got just a few sheep at that. In our lifetimes, we'll constantly have people telling us, you can't do that. You don't, you don't have what it takes to do that. You don't have the ability. You don't have the education. You don't have the strength. You don't have the resolve. You don't have the talent. And that's not just somebody being honest with you. That is an attack on your heart, an effort to wound your heart. And we all know how the story ends, don't we? David has exactly what it takes to kill Goliath. David has what Eliab doesn't. He has a great heart. A heart that is completely given to God. That's the thing that Eliab is missing. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord search throughout the earth for the people whose hearts are completely his because he wants to strengthen them. And the Bible is a history of God using unlikely people to do extraordinary things because God can see something in people that no one else can see. Their heart. And parents, we have to be so cautious with our children in this area. We never want to send the message to our children. You, don't, you, know, you can't do fill in the blank because we could wound their hearts. And the last one real quickly is this. The world wants to wound our heart, wound the hearts of our children, the person that we're married to, by saying something is wrong with you. Look at that. I know how conceited or arrogant you are and how wicked your heart is. Man, Eliab is attacking David at the deepest point, his heart, his character. You're conceited, David. You're a liar. You say dad told you to come, but I know the real reason that you're here. You just came down here to watch the battle. And I think the thing that's most remarkable about that is that Eliab acts as if he can see what God only can see. I know your heart. I know your heart. It's amazing, isn't it? But notice how those two things merge together. When people attack your character, they attack your heart. Your character is the core of who you are. It's what defines you. It's your deepest part. And it's impossible to separate your character from your heart. It's like it's impossible to separate your heart from your soul. They mean virtually the same thing. And this was the reason that God had chosen David instead of Eliab. It was his heart. It was his character. And the very thing that God desires in David is the thing that Eliab is condemning, his heart. And that says something profoundly important to me, that people just can't see you. People just can't see our kids. They can't see our, our wife or your husband. They can't see it. And so we don't want to let people wound the hearts of the people that we love. It says volumes to me about who we should listen to in life. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, I don't even judge myself. I don't even know my own heart. But 1 Chronicles 28, David said at the end of his life, he said, the Lord looks deep down inside every heart and he understands every desire and every thought. And I just want to end on this note. Look at verse 29. Yeah. David says, 
Now what have I done? Can I even speak? And he turned away. He turned away. There was somebody there that was trying to wound his heart and to cripple him. David said, get that trash out of here. He turned away. He turned away. Let's bow our heads together today, if we could. I'd just like to make it a practice when we finish our teaching time that we just take a moment to reflect on this. And I just want to ask you to think about what we've talked about today. I just want to ask you to think about the stakes in this battle for the heart. And I want to ask you today, number one, have you been guarding your heart? Are you guarding your heart with the people that you associate with, the things that you listen to, the things that you are, are, are tempted to believe because other people have said them or, or, or done things? Are you guarding your heart? It is so, so critical. Number two, if you have somebody in your life that you love, are you actively guarding their heart? Are you replacing lies with truth? Are you defending their heart? Because this is so, so essential to life. And maybe you're here today and you know that you have a deeply wounded heart. You're like, Les, what do I do? You have to believe a greater truth about your heart. Because you notice Eliab and Jesse, Samuel, they were all wrong about David. Every one of them, to a man. Only God knew David to the uttermost, to the fullest. And so who do you listen to? You listen to God. You listen to what God says about you, about your heart, about your character and your soul. You listen to him, and he's going to reprove you, and he's going to, say, he's going to tell you things. Yes, absolutely. But at the end of the day, he will say, he is the one, she is the one I have chosen, I have anointed and drawn them in to myself, to my very family. That is what we want to believe. And so ask the Lord to give you the heart to believe better things. Ask, your, ask the Lord to give your children the heart to believe the better things, the things that God says about them. Ask the Lord to give your husband or your wife the heart to believe the better things that God says about them, about their heart. And so, Father, we love you so much today. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much for speaking into our heart. And we thank you for this today. And Lord, I just ask for that person here today who has a wounded heart, Father, that they could have a new vision of who to listen to, who to respond to for the rest of their days. Lord, give them the strength today to win the battle for their heart. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Faith Covenant Church in Borger, Texas. We are so glad you took the time to learn more about God's Word with us. To get in contact with us, visit our website at www.faithborger.com.